I'd ask you to turn in your Bibles as we continue to look through the book of Luke and we're in this exciting little passage, Luke 17 verse 11 to 19 this morning. And so let's read this passage together, Luke 17 verse 11 to 19. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When Jesus saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. I don't know about you, but um, the word mathematics brings a chill to my spine. My teachers thought so too. Calvin, mathematics, chill. I got an E for enough. I'll proudly say that. No worries at all. And yet when I was flying and they gave me the context of mathematics, I got an A for absolutely awesome. Because it all made sense. So context was everything. Well, I'm going, my math teachers would laugh at this this morning. I'm going to give a little maths lesson. Are you ready? Alright, here we go. Pins poised. In mathematics, the quotient, which in Latin means how many times, stands for the answer to a division sum. Alright, so you've got that so far? Quotient. So that number at the top, there's the quotient. You've got your original number, 16. How many times does 3 go into 16? Well, the answer is 5 point something. 5 is the quotient. How many times does it divide in? 5. Now, now for some eternal mathematics. Are you sure? Alright, I'll tell you what that is. Here's eternal mathematics. You've got 76 blessings. How many times have you said thank you? Because we should have a quotient there of one. 76 blessings, 76 thank you Lord, should give you a quotient of one. We should be aiming at one. You all understand the maths now? Right, there end of the sermon. (laughs) You wish. You see, we teach our kids, don't we? Remember the days now, mine are gone. Remember to say thank you when we go to our visitors. I still teach that actually. Sorry Claire. But do we apply the same lesson to ourselves when it comes to the Lord? Do we remember to say thank you? That's the whole point of this little phrase here, this paragraph this morning. 
You see, Jesus is traveling on his way to Jerusalem. Now, this little passage here, you must pay attention now because you might not hear about it again because it's exclusive to Luke, alright? It's a privilege this morning to have some insight here. Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem. What's going to happen in Jerusalem? You all remember? He's going to be crucified. So he's traveling to Jerusalem and he goes on the east-west road along the border between Samaria and Galilee. It was a regular route there between these two regions, but it had nothing to do at all with geography. That route between Samaria and Galilee was a religious route. You see, the Jews refused to go into Samaria because then they'd be unclean. And so they travelled on the shortest route to Jerusalem, but outside of Samaria. And so that was along the border. Now, the Samaritans had their own form of religion. They believed there was another holy hill that you had to go and worship God on. And so the Jews believed, if I go into Samaria, I will be unclean. And so they travelled along on this border route. They were, the Samaritans were despised. Jews would actually, when they did go into Samaria, as soon as they got to the border, they would dust off their feet to get any evidence off their feet that they'd been in Samaria. That's how strongly they felt about it. And yet Jesus enters a village into Samaria. And as he enters into this village, it might have been for food or for rest. You see, the Jews were very good at twisting their religious laws too. So they would travel along the border, but they would go into Samaria if they were hungry and they needed food. And then they'd kind of have the food, and then they'd come out and shake their feet and dust their feet off. You see how hypocritical things were. So Jesus goes into the Samaritan village. Now it wasn't just to teach his disciples a lesson. He had a divine divine appointment here with ten individuals. He knew. He goes into this village. And as he comes into this village, these ten lepers stand at a distance and they cry out with a loud voice, Master, have mercy on us. Now it was a normal cry. Lepers used to do that all over the place. They used to have the same cry. Teacher, Master, you have mercy on us. They knew Jesus was a teacher. He was at the end of his ministry period. They recognized the individual. They must have heard many things about Jesus. Here comes Jesus. Master, have mercy on us. Here's our chance. Just in brackets. It's amazing how, as we're going to come and see later, how these Samaritans and Jews who were lepers were kind of mixing together because of misery. Religious laws were gone now. There's a bigger thing here, misery. And so we can band together. Somehow these laws don't apply anymore. Just close brackets. So Jesus comes to this village and there are these lepers crying out to him and standing at a distance. Now why were they standing at a distance? Was it just because they didn't want to infect anyone with leprosy? No, there's a different reason here. It was an Old Testament law. And I want you to flick there quickly if you can. Leviticus chapter 13. And I want to read two verses from here, and then you'll understand a little better. Leviticus 13, verses 45 to 46. Here's the law to a leprous person. The whole of chapter 13 and 14, by the way, is all to do with leprosy and how you're supposed to treat things. 
but verses 13 and, uh, sorry, 45 and 46 of chapter 13. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn, shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip. That was always strange to me. And cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now, they had to cover the upper lips. I did a bit of research there. It was to do with the whole law of having their heads covered. And men with moustaches had hair on their heads, so they had to cover that up as well. But medically, that was one of the regions that they first noted the signs of leprosy. It would eat away at the soft bits. And so it was horrible. But be that as it may, it's just a note. The rest of those of that passage is all to do with lepers. But the main thing here was that they weren't to come near others because they would be made ceremonially unclean. And so here these lepers are standing at a distance and crying out, Jesus, have mercy on us. Now I love the next verse, verse 14. What happens? When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. Now, when Jesus looked at these lepers, did he see a pretty picture? No. We've just read a description of what they might have looked like. Torn clothes, standing at a distance, toes and fingers probably missing, crying out in mercy to the Lord. But what does it show about Jesus Christ? There's nothing pretty on the outside of these people. He saw their hearts. He saw that they needed help. And here's his heart of compassion reaching out to these lepers. He couldn't help himself. Jesus has mercy on them. And then he does something strange. He says to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. You can go and look that up in Leviticus 14, verses 1 to 32. There's a whole list of rules about when someone had to be declared unclean, uh, sorry, clean again and purified, that they had to go to the priest. The priest had to inspect them. And then the priest would announce, yes, this person is now ceremonially clean. And then they still had to live a period outside of town until they were declared clean. And then they could come and come back to the temple. But here these lepers are, and Jesus says to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. Now, if I was one of those lepers, I would say, but hang on, Lord, you haven't done anything yet. What do you mean, go and show myself to the priest? But they don't, you see. They recognize Jesus. And it's something to be said for these guys. They obeyed Jesus immediately. And it's in that obedience, in that obedience, as they turn around and start obeying the Lord, that is when they healed. And the original here says, in their turning, they were healed. As they obeyed, they were healed. I take courage from that. What a powerful God we serve. You see, they didn't doubt. They obeyed and Jesus acted. There's a bit of a lesson here for us. Aren't we healed when we're obedient to the Lord? It's in the obedience that the Lord brings healing to you and I. And I'm not just speaking physical healing. I'm speaking spiritual healing. If you've got some issue in your life and you've brought it to the Lord... He'll say to you, I want you to be obedient to me in this area. And it's in that obedience that the Lord will heal you. 
You don't first wait and see what the Lord will do. He wants, you to, he wants to see, are you obedient to me? In your obedience, He brings healing. But obedience is not enough, you see. This account doesn't end here for a reason. There's a vital ingredient still missing in this interaction between Jesus and the lepers. And so we get to verses 15 to 19. And I've, I've, I've called it thanks, question mark. Was there any thanks here except for the one individual? No. What we find here is nine individuals who are healed, and what do they do? They just get on with their lives. And, okay, I'm not going to be too hard on these guys. They've seen they're healed, caught up in the moment of it, the excitement. I'd be excited if I was healed, suddenly of leprosy. In those days, it was like a death sentence. They run off to the priest, probably. Eager to get clean, purified. Their needs had been met. Their hearts were probably centered a bit on themselves, but we won't hold that against them this morning. But they forgot to give thanks. And only the one returns. And if you'd read the Jerusalem Times that day, it would have said, 10% of these people stopped to give thanks. 90% went about their lives. End of article. The thanklessness typifies humanity. Not just these lepers. You see, today when we look at God's common grace to everyone on this earth, over all the generations, isn't God a God of grace? Isn't He a God of God of mercy? Don't those who don't believe in God's name, don't they get up in the morning, hearts still beating, sun still shining, food on their tables, good health? Doesn't God still bring unbelievers out of operations, and they heal up. Without His hand of mercy, they would shrivel up and die. But we are thankless as a human race. And thanklessness has a deeper root to it, you see. Thanklessness at its root is rebellion to the Lord. It's a rebellious heart that doesn't give thanks. And humanity is typified by a rebellious heart to the Lord. Paul speaks about this. In Romans chapter 1, and I'm going to read it this morning. Romans chapter 1, read with me, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by the unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Here's common grace, God revealed to everyone. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. People see it in them, uh, see it in around them, ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honour him, here it is, or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. You see, at the bottom of a thankless heart is rebelliousness against the Lord. I'm going to come back to this. I want to ask you a question. I want you to be honest with me. Are we any better as believers than the thankless world around us? You see, if you come back to that quotient, how many times have you stopped to give thanks to God for every single blessing that comes your way? Have you stopped and given Him thanks for every blessing? We forget so quickly, you see. 
we forget so quickly. And at the heart of that could be, it could be old age. You've just forgotten. But it could be a rebellious heart that there's a bit of rebellion that's crept in. And I need to go and address that. And I need to ask the Holy Spirit to address that in my heart before I turn into a completely thankless person. But thank the Lord for this one who turned back. One turned back against the trend. And I can imagine them walking along, Hey, Jonas, where are you going? Or I'm just going to say thank you to Jesus. Alright, you go. We're going to carry on and we're going to see the priest. Do you see them? They were so caught up in this. But this one went against the trend. He could have run off to the priest and come and thanked the Lord later. But he didn't. He turned right there and he turns back. And comes and sees the Lord. And what does he do? Our verses say he glorifies God in a loud voice. Can you hear him? The same leper who was just crying out for mercy so that the whole world could hear. He now comes back. He's glorifying God so that the whole world will hear. Because this wasn't a little private affair. This was a public affair. Jesus had healed him in public. He comes back loudly, says the scriptures, glorifying God, giving public testimony to God. And not just that, he falls down at Jesus' feet. Do you see the humility here? And then he gives thanks. He doesn't just say, yeah, right, thanks, mate. Which is sometimes our attitude. He comes and he publicly gives praise. The next sentence that Jesus speaks is a very sad one. When you read it, you're sad. Look at what Jesus says here. Jesus says, but the nine, where are they? Now, did Jesus need thanks? Oh, did he have this thanks craving? Did he need to be thanked by this man? No. You see, the next bit of his sentence explains why he says this. He says, but the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? What's the main purpose of giving thanks. It is to glorify God. And so when we don't give thanks, what are we not doing? We are not glorifying God. That's why it's so important, you see. And so Jesus says, where are these other nine? Was none found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Now, he's not being racist here. But he's making a statement to the Jews who were around there. Remember, he's in this territory of the Jews and the Samaritans. He's saying, why is he only a foreigner who's come back? They don't even deserve God's grace by being God's people. At least you Jews, you were known for to be God's people. You should give thanks. Where are the Jews? Why aren't you giving thanks? This foreigner is. And then verse 19, I love it. The grace of God on display. He says to this man, You see, Jesus could read his heart. He'd come back to give thanks, but there was more. He recognized, you are the Messiah. And as he gave thanks, he fell down. And the Bible says he worshipped who? He worshipped God. He recognized who Jesus was. And so what does Jesus say? He says to him, stand up and go. Your faith has saved you. Literally, your faith has delivered you is what the text says. This faith that you've shown has delivered you. It has saved you. You see, Jesus had physically healed others there, right there, but they hadn't been saved spiritually. 
The Bible doesn't say that at all. It only mentions it about this man. He was saved spiritually. And that typified Jesus' ministry right through. When you go and read about Jesus' ministry, it was typical. He healed many because of his heart of compassion. He healed them. Why was he healing people? To glorify God. But not all of them put their faith in Jesus Christ, even the healed ones. Very few of them are mentioned. I was looking through my Bible. I was trying to find a few, just in in Luke, as we've been studying. I could only find two who put their faith in the Lord. Of all those that are mentioned, and okay, there might have been some that weren't mentioned, but of all those mentioned, only two speak about their faith in the Lord after being healed. The demoniac, remember him, next to the lake? And the woman was bleeding. Those two. That's it. There's two beautiful lessons, just very shortly, we can um, learn here. And the first one is about the nature of grace. You see, the Lord's grace is available to everyone, whether they're Samaritan, Jew, Gentile, Kiwi, foreigner, doesn't matter. The Lord's grace, Jesus' grace, is available to anyone who would accept it. Isn't that an amazing grace? And secondly, there's a short lesson here on the nature of saving faith. You see, it takes turning back from your headlong life to Jesus and trusting Him as Master if you want Him to work in your life. You need to turn back and come to Him and trust Him. And so that leads me into the so what's. We've got this passage now. It happened so many hundreds of years ago. So what? What's it got to do with you and I? Four things I'd suggest to you this morning. And the first one is this one. Have you turned back to Jesus in faith? Like this one who returned? Or are you going along your headlong pursuit of life? Have you stopped and turned back to Jesus in faith? Is your trust fully in Jesus Christ? Have you acknowledged that your black, sinful, leprous heart can only be cleansed and given life by the Master, Jesus Christ Himself? Is He now your Lord? As you're sitting in the seat this morning, is Jesus your Lord? It's a yes or a no. And His grace is still available to you this morning if you do not yet know the Lord Jesus Christ. There is still time. You can come to Him. He will take your leprous life and He will give you new life. He will make you clean. But He demands obedience and humility from you. Will you come? You see, we're a mixture of people. We're a mixture of godly people, people who know the Lord and unbelievers among us. And you look around you and you think, but who? They're here. God knows the hearts. And the invitation of the gospel is open to you this morning. Jesus' grace is available to you. Once again, come. There is still time. But you must turn. You must come. And if you're a believer here today, are you living your life By His grace. Do you turn daily from your headlong pursuit through life and come back to Jesus and fall at His feet? Do you? Is your trust in Jesus Christ? Secondly, the so what is this. Instant obedience brought results. Now, if you're a believer here today, I want to ask you this morning, are you quick to obey when the Holy Spirit prompts your heart? 
Are you quick to obey or do you delay and then you've forgotten halfway through the week? Is something prompting you this morning? Then God's word to you this morning is obey me and obey quickly. And in your turning back to me, I will do what I have to do in your life. But are you going to run away like the nine and forget? Are you quick to obey? Is there some unanswered prayer in your life? Something that you've been praying for years about? Well, maybe there's some disobedience that you don't want to obey the Lord in. And when you do, He will answer. In His time and in your obedience, He will answer your prayer. Thirdly, I want to put to you this morning, how do you as a believer respond to the mercy of God in your life? When you do the eternal mathematics, have you got a thankfulness quotient of 1? Or is it like 1.5 or 7 or 100? Because the bigger that number gets, the less obedience there is in your life, because the less thankfulness there is in your life, and that means the more rebellion there could be in your life. Do you get the... Do you get the context here? Is your thankfulness quotient one? Do you thank the Lord for every blessing that you can think of? Do you say thank you? Or is there some thanklessness there? Are you spiritually forgetful? Maybe you take things for granted a little bit. Well, this morning is a bit of a wake-up call here. Be thankful to the Lord. Take time to glorify God. Take time, like the slipper, to come back and to find time in your busy life to glorify the Lord, whether that's in private or in public. Glorify the Lord loudly here among us. When we have our times of open worship, when we have our times of open prayer in these services, may this church be one where you trip over each other because you want to say thank you to the Lord. Maybe not be enough time in our services to praise the God. Instead of silences where no one knows what to say. Let's trip over each other to thank the Lord. That's what he's saying here to us. Let's glorify the God loudly in public. Let's take time to fall at his feet. You see, if you were to take time to fall at his feet, would you get, and I say this reverently, would you get skid marks on your face because you're so busy you can't stand still? I ask myself that question. Do we spend time glorifying God and giving him thanks. You see, there's a command for us. First Thessalonians 5.18, and I'm going to repeat that a few times here now, is this, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I don't think it could be much stronger than that. Give thanks to the Lord in all circumstances, good or bad, For this is the will of God. So in other words, if I go against this, I'm going against the will of God. In Christ Jesus, He enables me to. So why don't I? For you, for me. And then lastly, my question to you is, are you the one? Now bear with me. I'm not pushing a point here. Are you the one? Are you the one who turns around? The rest of your family might be Christians, but they lead thankless lives. Are you the one who will go against the trend? The rest of this church might be a thankless mob as you look at them, but are you the one that turns around and thanks the Lord? Because God's not going to account the, ask them to account in front of you. He's going to ask you individually, 
did you thank me for my mercies towards you? Each of us will give an account to the Lord. Ourselves. What will your answer be to the Lord? You see, may God not say of you and I, these sad words, was no one found who returned to give glory to God? May that not be what God says of this church one day, when we stand before Him. May He not say, was no one found who returned to give glory to God? You see what's in my heart? And so I made you a little reminder for the week. See, be the one to give thanks. And if you want to be reminded of things that you can say thank you for, I put the little verse on the back too for you and a little picture to make it easier. And what you need to do is write some things on there that you're going to thank the Lord for and remember to thank Him for it. It's just a bit of a visual reminder for us. In conclusion this morning, I want to give you a real life example of someone who gave thanks to the Lord in very hard circumstances. And he's a living example to us. The hymn that we've sung quite a few times at this church, Now Thank We All Our God, was written by a German fella named Martin Rinker. And he lived around the 1500s. And uh, the English words that we sing were translated by Catherine Winkworth. But he was a Lutheran minister in Eilenburg in Germany. I'll put a little picture there for you of Eilenburg. And he stayed there during the 1600s while the Thirty Years' War was going. And that was a war which started between the Protestants and the Catholics, but it widened into all the territory after a while. And Eilenburg became a walled city. People used to flee to Eilenburg for refuge, political and military fugitives. And the result, everyone's coming to the same spot, overcrowding, deadly pestilence soon broke out, and famine. 1600s. And, to add to the troubles, armies overran the whole city three times. And usually what happens when armies come in, they just rout. People get killed and injured. That's what happens. And then even less food is available because the army's eaten it, like locusts. And so there is this pastor, Martin Rinkart, in these very, very troubled times. And then a severe plague broke out, to make it worse, in 1637. And it got so bad that at a time, he was the only surviving pastor in that town. He did 50 funerals a day. Now, Marty sometimes moans that he's got a lot of work. 50 funerals a day. Only pastor in town. He did 4,000 plus funerals in that one year. And the hardest of all, his own wife. He had to bury his own wife. Do you know when he wrote this hymn? When he buried his own wife. Now look at the words and they'll make sense in context. Now, give, now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices who wondrous things hath done. I've just lost my wife, who wondrous things hath done, in whom this world rejoices, who from our mother's arms has blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. Can you see him writing those words? His wife's just been buried and yet he's stating the truth to his soul. 
Oh, may this bounteous God through all our life be near us with ever joyful hearts and blessed peace to cheer us and keep us in His grace and guide us when perplexed. I'm glad I saw that. Because He must have been perplexed. God, why? And free us from all ills in this world and the next. There's His hope, you see. Now imagine writing that hymn in the middle of tragedy. There is a heart that is thankful. So what are your troubles? What's mine? Would I be able to write a hymn of praise in the middle of it? The secret of a true thankful heart is a heart that recognizes God's grace in us. It's a heart that is not in rebellion towards Him. It is a heart which seeks to glorify God no matter what. May you and I be that one that can glorify God no matter what and give thanks in all circumstances for that is the will of God for us in Christ Jesus. There's our hope. Let's be thankful. Let's pray. Yes, Lord, we come before you and thank you for reminding us, Lord, because we forget so easily. We have your blessings poured out on us every single day, so much that we take it for granted. Lord, thank you for this very timely reminder that if we do not give thanks to you, there's rebellion in us. Lord, help us to run back to you to fall down at your feet and to cry out words of thanks and praise to give you glory. May we be quick in our obedience, Lord. And may we then look to you in hope. No matter what is happening in our lives, may you get the glory publicly, openly, so that the world will know that Jesus lives today. Amen.